Welcome to the Community Colleges Australia podcast. I'm Ryan Pemberton. This is episode five in our eight-part series on board governance and executive leadership. This episode, having tough conversations. We'll hear from Sue Reynolds at Western Riverina Community College and Nick Hedges, director at Resolve HR. There are many workplace contexts that require us to have tough conversations. Maybe it's an employee that is underperforming or struggling with mental ill health. Perhaps it's a bullying or compliance issue. These conversations can be uncomfortable to have, awkward to bring up, and there is often a lot riding on their success. So in this episode, we'll go through some useful strategies on how best to approach these discussions and ensure they're resolved as painlessly as possible. First up, Nick Hedges. Say you're in a situation where you you need to have a difficult conversation with someone. What might stop you from having that conversation? I think there's probably two things. One is I think we often are afraid or there's a little bit of a fear around what's the reaction of the other person going to be. If I'm going to have this conversation with you, Ryan, that I know is going to be difficult going into it, I can't control the way you're going to react. All I can do is control the way I'm going to position it to you and my emotions in terms of the way that you react. So the, the fear or the, of the reaction of the others is, is often um, what's difficult. And the other part I'd say is that there's essentially there's an emotional discomfort. So how are you going to feel if they get upset, right? So if they get defensive, is that going to lead to me being angry or, or defensive myself? Am I going to need to defend my position? Or if they sidetrack the conversation with another topic that wasn't even what you wanted to talk about and they derail it, are you going to then feel overwhelmed? So our emotional discomfort, along with the fear that could be um, portrayed towards us, uh, is often a couple of the barriers to difficult conversations. What can go wrong if you put off having one of these conversations? Say, for example, you're a manager and an employee has been underperforming. What are the risks of delaying or putting off that difficult conversation altogether? I think there's several risks. The, the effects of, of, of avoiding these um, conversations uh, has, a, has a massive flow and effect for um, the organisation. Like we could potentially lose engagement and, and, and people feeling a bit disgruntled about the organisation because other people are seeing this behaviour or the performance standard or whatever it is that, that needs to be addressed. And they're going, well, I'd be prepared to have the conversation. Why can't you? You know, you're the one who's being paid to do it. Or So it can definitely have a flow and effect for engagement and productivity and efficiency within the workplace, the culture of the workplace. Does the behaviour get worse? Do we then condone that performance standard? Do we condone whatever it is that, that we're trying to address? From a personal perspective, we could become more and more frustrated. And by us not saying something, it's going to have an effect on us. Is it going to affect our mental health, our ability to manage our own emotions, our ability to talk to that person going forward? What are some strategies that people can use to help promote a successful interaction? So I think there's a couple of things in this. I think the first thing is to focus on the problem and not the person. So what do we mean by that is go hard at the problem and go easy on the person. I think some other strategies are around being prepared. Get clear on your intention and your ideal outcome. So why are you having this conversation? Is the purpose clear in your mind before you enter the conversation? Covey used to talk about begin with the end in mind. So what reaction are you looking for from the other person? What do you need them to remember? What do you need them to take away from that meeting? What do you need the other person to do after that conversation? So get clear. Ensure you've got all the facts. Do your research. Do you need evidence that needs to be shared with them? 
and make sure you stick to the facts and not let emotions come into it. Picking a suitable time, a suitable location, again, seems obvious, but I've spoken to clients where they're about to make somebody redundant and go, should we just do that in a cafe down the road? No, do not do that in a cafe down the road. It's just not a great location. There's people around. What if people do get emotional? Get a meeting room, um, have a box of tissues ready, all of that sort of stuff. You don't know what their reaction's gonna be. What's your mindset? Is your mindset before entering into a difficult conversation that you're already you know, clouded with, with other things from your own life? So um, have you got a clear head to ensure that there's no excess emotional baggage in a sense that goes into the conversation? And will you be able to fully commit to being present in that meeting or are you going to be distracted by other things? Often I like to start with a, a micro yes, which is, look, Ryan, we've got a couple of things I really need to talk to you about and they're going to be difficult. Are you okay if I talk to you about them today? And when you respond with a yep, that's fine. Even though it still might be difficult, at least I've got some consent to be able to move forward. When going into a difficult conversation, it's important to be mindful of the style of communication you're using. So being assertive and not aggressive. So assertiveness is taking an active, honest and direct approach to your interactions using I statements so as opposed to the we statements. So I believe what I'm hearing, what I've heard from you. Listening to understand, again, a Covey concept. The most important part of the conversation is hearing what the other person might be saying to you and ensuring that you're act- actively listening. Often in conversations, rather than focusing on what the other person is saying, we're focusing on what we want to say next. So being present with your communication is really important. Uh, And the final tip that I'd say in terms of strategy is body language and tone. In a virtual environment, and if you're dealing with people virtually when you're having these sorts of meetings, um, promoting a visual presence. So promote the use of webcams to ensure a visual presence. So often we're picking up signals Um, that we weren't aware of and ensure that you're not missing key communication signals by having the webcam on possibly at all times. Having open body language, uh, maintaining eye contact, ensuring that your tone is respectful, all those sorts of things. So I think, you know, those sorts of strategies can all help to to having a, a more successful interaction when you're having a difficult conversation. Nick Hedges, Director of Resolve HR. Next, we'll hear from Sue Reynolds. Sue has had a lot of experience handling tough conversations in her role as a vocational education training manager. I have really strong trainers who are very confident and very, very sure in what they do. And sometimes when I have to have that difficult conversations with them, it can get a bit testy. Uh, One example I've had, I've got the WRCC has a trainer who's a very confident trainer, very strong trainer, and on one occasion when the assessments were submitted and ready for me to process, I noted there was notice there was some gaps in the evidence. So before I could process them, I needed to have a conversation with him, asking him why the assessment tasks weren't completed and the students were still deemed competent. I called him in. We sat down and right from the get-go, he had his back up and he said that he felt that the additional documents that he had produced, which weren't from WICC, were sufficient in, in filling those gaps that I thought were there. I then had to explain to him that that was okay. However, they were not mapped to the unit of competence. They didn't meet the rules of evidence. Therefore, I wasn't comfortable in issuing a qualification. 
he still wasn't um, happy with that sort of idea. In the end, I said to him, look, I will take ownership of this on my part that maybe I didn't explain the process correctly and being a new assessment, you weren't really familiar with the whole structure of it and I will take ownership. I said, but you also have to take ownership of your industry experience and your code of ethic as a trainer that they must fulfil all the criteria to be deemed competent. He still wasn't happy with that and in the end we, I decided to call it quits and say, we'll talk about this later. He wasn't happy. I wasn't happy, obviously. And off we went. And then I mulled over and I thought, there's got to be a way where I can get to this trainer without it really exploding. So then I went through um, his past courses and training programs that he had delivered and worked through the exit course evaluations. And there was some really excellent feedback, um, engaging trainer, knew his content, loved the course, will recommend. I thought, yeah, great. Sue believes in the importance of adapting your communication style to the situation and the person you're speaking with. In this case, that meant starting the conversation off with some positive feedback. So then I decided to send him an email and started off with, you know, I'm in the process of looking at people's course evaluations and I'd gone through some of his courses and these are some of the comments from the students. And I said, fantastic, well done. You obviously do a fantastic job in the training. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I said, we still need to uh, finalise the past class that we were speaking about. Can we have another conversation? And yes, we did. In he came, body language much better. His tone was much better. We worked through it. We came to a conclusion we worked out how to, to fix the problem. And from then on, we've had a pretty good relationship. So that was a matter of finding something that was a real positive that he could relate to. And then we got that common ground and he could then work through it together. You obviously had an intuition that if you gave him some positive feedback, that he would be more receptive to the criticism that you had to deliver in order to get the outcome that you needed. Why did you think that was important? It's the type of personality this person is. He's very, he's, he's very strong and very confident in what he does. So having someone come along who's not even in the industry, who doesn't know anything about what he's teaching, I, have, I haven't a clue about the stuff he teaches, and I'm telling him that there are faults in his assessment. So he's on the defensive. You had to sort of kind of work backwards we always start with the positive and lead up to it and try and, and smooth the waters a little bit. Sue also says it was important for her, as the manager in the scenario, to take ownership of the issue. There's got to be ownership on my part as well as their part. So there's always two, two parties that have to take ownership. The trainer has to take ownership and myself as the manager I've got to take ownership too because if the trainer's not doing not doing the, the work in the way I, it, I would like it to be, is it the way I've sort of communicated that? Are the processes not correct? Are they not clear enough? So therefore I've got to evaluate my processes and my communication methods to, you know, better prepare the trainer or the staff member that I'm speaking to as well. Part of this self-evaluation is considering that you might not have all the information going into the conversation. 
maybe there are human factors that you're not aware of. So it's not all about compliance. It's not all about work. What's happening in that person's life at the moment? You may not know about it because and their behaviour changes or they do some things that you think, oh, that's a bit odd. Maybe you have to ask them, are you okay? Are all things going okay? I don't need to know, but as long as are you okay? That also helps you to process what's what's going on. And I've had those conversations with some trainers as well. I go, how are you going? Oh, I'm okay. No, no, you're not. Come with me. And they'll keep saying, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I'm, I'm quite forceful. I go, well, no, you're not, because I can see in your eyes, I can see in your body language that you're not okay. Do you need to take time off? You know, don't be afraid to take time off or say, look, I can't do that anymore, Sue. You know, that's okay. Or I'm really struggling with that. But there's also I've got um, some, some staff that are very strong and don't want to own up that I'm not okay. No, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. And then you go, well, no, you're not, sorry. I'm taking that from you. And you can feel, oh, thank God for that. You can sort of see the relief in them and go, thank God she's done that, you know. So sometimes you've got to be a mind reader and sometimes you just got to just sit there and just observe. You might see the superficial problem, but there might be some underlying stuff happening as well. And start obviously start with the positive, but go gently because if it's a difficult conversation that you're going to have, there might be a reason that they're behaving in that way or they're doing that kind of thing. The level of rapport and trust that you've built up with the individual will impact on how easy or difficult the conversation is. You see that person, you make the effort to have a casual conversation with them. And I find if you do that, the barriers do break down. They do break down. Even if it's just, hello, how are you going as they're walking in the door to collect their resources and stuff, or even stopping them and saying, how was your day? How was your weekend? Slowly that that conversation thread will increase, you know, and as the days go along, it'll be a longer conversation. And make sure you do it in a private space and you give them notice that you just don't go up to them and go, I want to talk to you now. Go for a walk. And then that becomes neutral ground. You're not sitting at somebody's workstation. You're on equal footing then. The other difficult conversation, I've got to bring this up, is dealing with a third party. So when a third party comes to me and go, such and such has been speaking to me and, and that person is not happy about A, B, C, D and F, that's when it becomes frustrating. That's when I really have to hold my ground and not get upset. Why doesn't that person come directly to me? So I find that, that that is the most difficult conversation that I have to have because I need to gain trust. I need to gain that person's trust because obviously I haven't got it if that person's gone through a third party. With that example you gave, that tough conversation with that trainer, what do you think would have happened if you avoided that conversation? If I had left that hanging for weeks, that problem would have multiplied because that situation could have happened again. So I don't just have one class I've got to deal with. I have two, three or four classes and it becomes a nightmare. So it's a nightmare in that sense, but it's also going to be a nightmare trying to have that conversation with that individual because I've let it go for so long. So if I've let it go for so long, it must be okay. What's the problem? I'm not, I don't like avoidance because then information gets forgotten, processes get forgotten, it becomes he say, I say, they say, we say, 
and it gets all blurred because we forget to write things down and we're, we're sort of focusing on our memory and thought, well, my memory's not that good. So I'd rather deal with it straight away within, you know, a day or so so that we're both fresh, we both are fairly clear on what happened in that situation and we can come to the conclusion fairly quickly. You've been listening to Season 3 of the Community Colleges Australia Governance and Leadership Podcast Series, produced by Audiocraft, with funding support from the New South Wales Government. Next episode, leading an organisation through difficult times. Getting feedback from the bottom up is really important. And I think that a lot of that is missed when you're pushing through, this is the plan, this is the change. There was a command and control element to it, but it was very much... What do you need to make this work? What resources do you need to make that happen? Have we got them? Can we make them up? That's in the next episode of the CCA Governance Podcast Series. You can find all of our episodes at cca.edu.au.